Well, we're starting what I call our summer block of sermons. And when I t- prayed about what we would uh, cover this summer, the, the, the past four summers have been easy, but not easy, but like uh, we knew we were going to do the book of Acts for the two or three months that every summer afforded us. And so uh, if you've been here over the last four or five years, you know we just studied verse by verse the book of Acts. But we finished last summer, which uh, was great, but uh, that leaves this summer kind of open. So I prayed and I said, God, what do you want us to talk about? And the things that uh, he kind of wrote on my heart were the, these two things, our, our mouths and our money. He wanted us to talk about our mouths and our money. So uh, in two separate series this summer, we're going to talk about um, the, the words that uh, uh, we choose to say with our mouths. We'll do that uh, later in July. And we're going to spend most of June, uh, at least the next three weeks, talking about money. Everybody relax. This is not a uh, full court press giving series. Uh, grateful for so many who, as we take this offering, are generous and uh, God uses to support his ministry here. And uh, many of you understand generosity. Many of us, maybe not yet, but, but, but all of us can grow in that. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but this isn't a giving series. This is more about a, a it's a worship series. It's a worship series. It's so easy, especially in the culture that we lay, live in, to, to make idols of our money and our, the things that our money can buy. Uh, so... Um, I want us to make sure that we're, uh, we're understanding our, our worship principles correctly, the, the ways that we should worship correctly. Uh, the way it's supposed to be is that we're supposed to worship God and use money uh, for his glory. Like he gives us whatever we have uh, by his grace and for his glory so that we might honor him with it. Uh, he, being the center of our worship, has done this so that he might receive his glory. Now, too often in the modern church, and certainly in our culture, we worship money. And when it comes to God, we only use him for our glory. Uh, He's some kind of uh, spiritual Santa Claus who's supposed to give me everything I want when I want. Uh, He is uh, mine to control, we might think subconsciously, deep down. Uh, And when he doesn't do what I want, I get to do what I want uh, without him. Uh, But that's not how this is supposed to work. It's a series on worship. Jesus talked about money and and, and God, and and he said in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, that no one can serve these two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So in these next three weeks, we're just going to hopefully be reminded of that principle, of that truth. We need to worship God and use the money that he graces us with for his glory. Uh, we're going to tackle it with, with three different sermons. The first one to th- this week is going to be on gratitude. It's kind of the, uh, the, the foundation of everything that we need to talk about when it concerns the resources that we've been given. Uh, it's the mindset that we're meant to have when it comes to our money. We're going to talk about gratitude today. Next week, we're going to cover some of the methods that God wants us to use in stewarding the money that he gives us, the ways that he wants us to manage our lives so that we live in such a way that glorifies him. Last week, we'll talk a little bit more about his greatest hopes for our money, which is us being generous with it, Uh, whether it's uh, to those in our lives, to the church that we go to, to the uh, ministries that God gives us the opportunity to be a part of. We'll talk more about generosity, but uh, I'm just excited to be covering these things. I used to get nervous talking about money. When I was a young pastor, I was like, oh, no, no one wants to talk about that. I love talking about it. Uh, I think it's one of the most important things. I'm not a blab it and grab it guy. You're not going to hear me... uh, 
uh, stand up here and preach a prosperity gospel. I'm not going to tell you that if you honor God with your money, he's going to make you rich. That's a, well, it can happen. And a lot of times he has made us uh, rich, but uh, that is not why we get involved with Jesus. It's not why we honor our God so that we can be blessed. We honor God because he is worthy. Today we want to start, as we talk about money, talking about gratitude. Can we all agree on some of these uh, money principles? Uh, none is bad. Can everybody agree that if you have no money on you, that's, that's kind of a hard thing. That's a bad thing. Like I, 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 uh, uh, My truck was in the shop on Wednesday, and so I went to Tom Eichram, our executive pastor, and said, hey, bro, if you take me to lunch, I'll buy. Has anybody ever made this deal with someone? And so we headed over Mission Barbecue, and we're getting out of his car, and I, I do the, the double pat. One side's the phone, one side's the wallet. If I leave my, I just do the pat, right? Okay, pat this side, phone, check. Pat this side, Ugh! no wallet. Hey, Tom, guess who's buying lunch? <laughs> you are for now. I'll pay you when I get back. But who's ever, who's ever been on that trip where you were like, you know, uh, back in the old days before you could order everything online, you had to drive, you know, a certain distance to get to a certain store to get a certain thing for, you know, just this one deal that you had to go to this one place and, and you drove all that way to get there and you would step out of your car and you'd realize then that your purse is in the other car or your wallet is in the other pants and yeah, that's bad. None is bad. None is bad. And, and uh, thankfully, I'm guessing that most of us have some, but there are people in our country uh, who have little and, and it's hard. I get that. So if none is bad, then, then some is good. Everybody agree that some is good? Who loves finding money? Does anybody love finding money? Like, I'll st- I, I still dig in the couch cushions. I'll be honest with you. It's only quarters, but I'm like, hey, that's one more quarter than I have. I love the days when I put on the pair of pants that I forgot that someone had give, you know, paid me back for something, and there's a $10 bill on that pair of pants, right? And it's all, like, gone through the laundry, and it's all wadded up and you know, dry, but you're like, mm, yes, and you're like, I got 10 more dollars than I thought I did, right? I'm not rich, but I got 10 more bucks. In our culture, certainly none can be bad. Some is good, but the pervading attitude is that more would be better. More would be better. Give me some more of that cash. So Rockefeller said, one of the richest guys in the world was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, one dollar more. Isn't that amazing? Solomon was one of the richest guys to ever live. If you go back in the Bible and you read the story of Solomon in his book, Ecclesiastes, and in the stories of First uh, and Second Samuel, uh, you'll see that, that he got like 25 tons of gold a year just in taxes And that translates over the course of his 40 years of being a king to almost $2 trillion in today's money. Bill Gates and all those guys got nothing on Solomon, right? But look what Solomon says about money. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then he gives his catchphrase, which is what he says throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. This too is meaningless. Now, it's interesting there, he puts the word love in his descriptor. He says, if you love money, if you worship money, if it's your primary in life, then you're never going to have enough. You're never going to be satisfied. Some guy in San Diego just won the lottery, $530 million. Most of us, if we hear about that, think, man, I wouldn't, 
I wish I could change places with him. Wouldn't it be great to have $530 million? Probably on the front side would be like, look at all the good I could do with that. But like uh, St. Biggie said, more money, more problems. Hmm. Before we get too carried away with our desire for more, we need to slow down. Let's slow down this morning. Everybody want to slow down for a second? Let's, let's come against that cultural mandate to want more. Let, let's understand that uh, uh, in comparison with the rest of the world we live in, probably the majority of people sitting in these chairs is really rich. Like we talk in our country about the one percenters, right? Boo, one percenters, they got all the wealth. Do you know what the 1% uh, median salary is for the, for the world? Like if you were in the top 1% of earners in the world, do you know how much you'd have to make? 32 grand. That's the top 1% of earners in the world. You see, in America, there's only 6% of the population of the world, but uh, we Americans hold 40% of the world's wealth. Uh, in other parts of the world, most people have very little. In fact, today, uh, if uh, a good part of our world went to work, they'd come back about a billion of them having made only about a dollar's worth of wages. Um, my mom used to say that kind of stuff to me when I wouldn't eat my bustle spouts or something like that, you know? Starving kids all over the world would love to have that plate. Whoever had that one from a mom, right? And just so you know, that's totally true. That's not just a motivation for you to stuff your face. That's, that's totally true. And, and when, if you've ever traveled, if you've ever been on mission trips, it is hard for you to come home to your two-car garage and your four-bedroom house and your clothes that you don't wear and feel good about you feeling bad about what you have. (laughs) By our country standards, sure, you and I may seem poorer than others, but really, almost all of us, like I said, are the richest people on the planet. We have so much to be grateful for, yet so often we focus on what we lack rather than what we have. We live in a a discontented and disappointed life. And we, we take that discontent and disappointment to our God. We ask him, why? Why do I have so little? Why don't I have more? This is so dangerous, you guys. It's so subtle, but it's so dangerous in the Christ life because disappointed discontent will eventually, if not immediately, keep us from appreciating God. It will steer us away from worshiping God, this God who has given us the abundance that we have. In fact, our adversary, we just got done talking about the armor of God here in the book of Ephesians and how our adversary, the devil, seeks to pull us away from God and the worship of God. You know what his number one fiery dart, his number one scheme is? He gets us to be discontent to be discontented and disappointed with what God has given us. Isn't that what he did with Eve in the garden? She's standing in the middle of perfection. She has everything available to her save one tree. And what does Satan do? You can't have that. Interesting that he doesn't talk about all that she does have. He just focuses on the one thing she can't have and uses that to pull humanity away from the worship of God. And we've been doing it ever since, right? Our adversary comes to us and says, 
You're going to worship a God who's only given you this? You're going to worship a God who hasn't blessed you with that? You didn't seem like that much of a God to me. <laughs> you got to be careful the week you're going to preach a sermon on gratitude because stuff's going to break. Right? Like, uh, my truck went in the shop Wednesday. I thought it was going to be fixed. I actually called ahead to make sure the parts would get there, but of course, you know, there was a mix-up on the parts, and I didn't get it out until Friday night. And uh, so I was without my truck for a couple days. And, and then when I did pick it up, it hadn't been fixed because the other part that they had to reorder wasn't the right part either. Have a good weekend, right? But I'm sitting in my life group Thursday morning. We're reading the book of Philippians where Paul is in jail and he's rejoicing over the fact that he gets to share the gospel with guards, right? And I bring this story up and all the good Christian men in my life group started making fun of me. Oh, that's right, complain about the fact that the truck you own, that you're paying someone else to fix for you, is having a hard time getting out of the shop. And then let's read Philippians, Paul's in jail, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's, it's silly, it's laughable, the things that we as Americans get fussed out about. It's just ridiculous. My phone doesn't work. All right. My car's in the shop. I was talking with Tom uh, yesterday, or this morning, excuse me, and, and a couple days ago, Tom's air conditioner went out. And uh, so he's been sitting in a sweaty house for a couple days, and we were laughing about that. And I said, I, you know, he was studying with me on Tuesday on gratitude. I was like, see, told you, bro. Stuff breaks when you start talking about gratitude. Because what God wants to do is he wants to bring us down to the level where we need to be so we can appreciate what he's graced us with, right? Are you grateful? Okay, oh, don't be so quick. I know when a pastor asks, asks a question, everybody wants to, ch yeah, are you? Are you truly grateful? Did you walk in here kind of mad? Kind of disappointed? That's how our adversary gets us. Glass half empty. Things aren't so great. God doesn't care. He hasn't blessed. And therefore, he is unworthy of your life and your worship. So let's set the record straight. Just so we're clear, the Bible states in so many places that God has given us all that we have. Everything you and I have is from him. James tells us in chapter one of his book, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be fooled by your adversary, by your own flesh. Don't be fooled by those around you who are like, man, that God thing's not working out. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our God is unchanging, and in his unchangingness, he is constantly, perfectly, forever gracious and good, and everything that you and I have has come from him. Hmm. So what should we do in light of God being the source and the resource of all that we have? Well, we're gonna study a text this morning that uh, is a good reminder of what we should do in light of the fact that God has given uh, today we're going to talk about being grateful, remembering specifically God's provision. 
in the book of Deuteronomy, which is where we're going to be this morning. You can turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's close to the front. It's in a group of five books at the beginning of the Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. They're attributed to Moses. And uh, in them, we get Genesis, which tells the story of creation, and the the patriarchs of Israel. We get Exodus, which is the story of Israel's uh, rescue from Egypt, and then the the journey that they took through the uh, wilderness to get to the promised land. And then you get through Leviticus, which is a bunch of the laws, and then Numbers, which is, you know, kind of a a similar book. And then you get to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is basically a a word that means second law. Deutero, second, namas, law. And it's, it's a retelling of the law. Moses is at the end of the 40 years, and, and Israel is about to pass into the promised land with Joshua. Moses actually, in the first couple of chapters of Deuteronomy, is told by God, you're not going. Your generation's not making it in. And so Moses has to die before Israel crosses into the promised land. But before Moses dies, he wants to make sure that Israel is clear on the deal, the covenant that has been made with them by their God. And so he expresses it. Uh, in, in great detail through the first uh, seven chapters, uh, giving us uh, many of the verses that we uh, see quoted often in the New Testament. But then he gets here to chapter eight, and he, he gives them one more, what I call a don't forget text. Has anybody ever gotten a don't forget text? Right, you're, it's 4.30, 5 o'clock, you're fixing to head out uh, from where you work, and, and your wife or a, a daughter or a son sends you that, hey dad, Hey, honey, don't forget. And then it's whatever's coming up next. Make sure you grab the eggs on the way home because we're making that cake or, you know, we're going to meet over here because so-and-so is having this recital. Whatever your don't forget texts are about, this is Moses' don't forget text. He says in verse 2 of Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, and you shall remember the the whole way that the Lord your God uh, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He says, okay, remember all 40 of those years, those of you who were around for all 40 of them, or those of you who were born while you were, you know, basically uh, wandering with us, uh, and, and you've been a part of this at whatever age you are. Remember how God has used these 40 years. He's used them to test you. He says, he humbled you, verse three. And he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Everybody remember manna? Manna was this bread from heaven, right? Not pennies, bread. Bread from heaven. And it came down in a time of Israel's greatest need. Israel didn't have, you know, uh, a Publix to go to. They they were uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people without their own farms and their own ways to provide for themselves. And so in the desert that they were wandering in, they were starting to kind of get hungry, thirsty, to die off. And so God sent them bread from heaven. It's this bread that they had not known before them, nor had their fathers experienced, verse 3. But uh, he sent this bread that, that, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where have I heard that before? That's, uh, that's what Jesus quotes in Luke chapter four, as he's facing the temptation of uh, his adversary, Satan himself. Satan had come to him after 40 days of fasting, and he says, you hungry? You, you're the son of God, go ahead, make some bread. Turn that rock into a loaf. And Jesus said wisely, no, buddy, it's not about food, it's about God. 
That's essentially what Moses is reminding Israel of here in its original context. He's saying, hey, remember, God tested you. God took you to places where you got to the end of yourselves, and then he provided for you. And he did that so that you would remember that it's not about you and your abilities to provide for yourself. It's about him and his grace and his goodness in providing for you. When it comes to priorities, don't put you and what you can make and what you can secure for yourself over him and what he provides for you. That's a a fairly easier lesson to learn in times of lean. And the followers of God in Israel learned it well in those times. Not so well that they forgot, but they learned it well. He goes on in verse four, he says, you guys remember those, those days? Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell those 40 years. Yeah, no Publix, no Target, they couldn't go get clothes or wherever you buy yours. Uh, so their, their jackets and their, their tunics, they, they never wore out. They, they were provided for in their food and in their clothing. They were provided for in their health. Their feet did not swell even after wander, wandering around for 40 years. Moses wants them to remember what it was like as God provided for them in hard times. But then he, he shifts and he goes to verse 7 and he says this. Now, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will uh, eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack how much? Nothing. A land whose stones are iron. You'll be able to uh, mine the stones there for the iron that you need for tools and weapons. A land out of whose hills you can dig copper. You'll have precious uh, uh, ores that you can trade with. In verse 10, he summarizes this. He says, you shall eat and you shall be what? Full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. He says, now remember the lessons you learned while things were scarce. God provided but you're heading into a land where things aren't gonna be scarce. God provided. Moses isn't gonna have to, well, Moses is gonna be around, but no one's gonna have to tap a rock so you can have water. No bread's gonna have to fall from the sky so you can eat. It's all there in this land that the original spies came back and reported it's, it's, it's just full of milk and honey. It's just this land of much. Moses says, okay, you're going into that land and you're going to be full. And when you're full, he says, verse 10, you shall, what? Bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. This has led to a tradition in the Jewish faith called Berkat Hamazon. It's basically, uh, they pray for their meals at the end. You and I, who prays at the beginning? Anybody pray at the beginning? Keep going, it's very fine, please do, okay? But our Jewish friends, they pray at the end. It's actually a three-pronged prayer. It's kind of a big deal. If they're doing it right, it's, they're, not, they're not messing around. But they do it because they want to have that sense of fullness, that sensation of, ah. And it's from that sensation of fullness that they want to remember that God has blessed me. Ah. We should try that this week. Who wants to try that? Who wants to try it? Pray before your meals, and before everybody starts clearing the dishes and uh, goes to Netflix or whatever you're going to do next, uh, pause, grab hands, and with the feeling of being sated, of being full, say, God, thank you. Thank you for the blessing that you give. <laughs> yeah, he says, remember, remember what it was like not to have. Remember when you have 
who it comes from. And then he transitions to where a lot of us find ourselves sometimes. We, we easily forget, right, that God has given us all that we have. Moses sensed that that was going to be a potential here in Israel, and so he says this in verse 11. He says, take care, lest you, what? Forget. Be careful now. When you get over there uh, to the full grocery stores and, uh, and the beautiful lakes and streams, uh, be careful that you don't forget that the Lord your God has provided these things. Be careful that you don't forget uh, your, the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, he says in this verse, and his rules and his statutes, which I command to you today. There's a couple of ways that we experience what I call spiritual amnesia, this forgetting of God and his grace and his provision. Uh, the first one he mentions here in verse 11, it's, it's we forget uh, because forgetting is tied to following failures. Forgetting's tied to following failures. Look at what it says there. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by or by means of not keeping his commandments and his rules and the statutes, which I command you today. Paul's, or Paul, that was last week. Moses has, uh, has, has you go back and read the rest of the uh, you know, chapters before this in Deuteronomy. He's been very clear. Here's what God expects. Here's what God hopes. He, he recounts or re, uh, uh, writes the Ten Commandments. He says, here's the commands, Right? But he says here, when you get in situations where you have plenty, sometimes the commands kind of get lost. And when you lose the commands, here, can we all agree that whenever we fail to obey one of the commands or we forget to keep one of the commands, in that moment, we have, for that moment, stopped worshiping God. We have stopped obeying God, complying with God, being in step with God, right? And so, in a sense, we have forgotten God. Is that fair to say? Someone say yes, so I can go on. Good, thank you. Thanks for playing. It's good to have you here. Now, that, if that's true, then here, I think this is also true. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if, if you put a, a long string of those forgets together, then you, you get farther and farther from God. He becomes harder and harder to hear and to obey and to heed. It's not just in that single disobedience that there's a problem. It's in the disobedience that follows that disobedience, the forget that follows that forget that leads us farther from the path. I was driving uh, to a golf course Friday morning uh, with some guys, and, and it's a course that we don't typically play, and so we punched it into Siri, and um, initially we were, we were listening pretty closely to her directions, and a couple of us knew where we were going, and the driver didn't. And so we got talking and laughing and joking and, and uh, uh, you know, discussing jobs and sports and all those things like guys do uh, once they've had their coffee, and uh, uh, Siri comes on the, on the phone. You know, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's basically, hey, bro, you got to turn left. Okay? We're in the far right lane of a four-lane road at the stoplight. We're not making that left. Right? And so now we have to go down this road and find a U-turn in busy traffic and try to not die as we get back on the path. Who's been in this situation? You just weren't paying attention to the directions you were being given. Well, that's what, we weren't in utter dis disobedience, but we were totally forgetting to pay attention and so we lost the trail. And God says, hey, listen, don't forget. Your, your following failures will lead to you not remembering me, not remembering what I've done. But that's not the only thing that the Israelites were prone to forget or postured to forget. Uh, they, were, they were postured to forget that 
uh, God had given them all that they had and their forgetting was tied to their foolish pride. Look what it says in verse 12. Their forgetting was tied to their foolish pride. Verse 12, he goes on with this warning. He says, take care unless when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses. This sounds like America. Here we go, ready? When you are eaten and full and have built good houses and you live in them and when your herds and flocks have multiplied and and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Is everybody picking up a theme there? Multiplication, yeah? Then, he says, your heart will be lifted up. I was reading this the first time as I was studying this passage, and I was like, oh, good, our hearts will be lifted up. It's not what he means. He's not meaning that our hearts will be lifted up to God. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But the worship in these lifted hearts is not for the God who is given, as we will soon see. He says, your heart uh, will be lifted up, and, and you will forget the Lord your God in the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He's going way back to the beginning of the 40 years. He goes on and he says this, uh, who led you through the the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents, its poisonous snakes, and scorpions and and, uh, thirsty ground where there was no water, and who brought you water out of the flinty rock, and and you're gonna forget this God who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that, that he might humble you and test you to do you good. In the end, he culminates and he says, beware. Beware lest you say in your heart. And he helps us understand what that whole heart lifting thing is. He says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Danger Will Robinson. Danger to us who follow God when we pause even for a second and think, look what I have done. Check me out. Self-made man. I bought this business and it was going nowhere and I took it to where it is. And now there's two of them. When I got here to Florida, my bank account was this, now it's this. I used to live in a small apartment, now I got a three-car garage and cars to put in there. Look what I have done. You know, when we talk like that, why didn't you tell me that was almost off the table? <laughs> when we talk like that, you know who we're like? We're like a guy in the Bible in the book of Daniel named King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Uh, he lived in the palace in Babylon uh, uh, that was one of the seven wonders of the world before it was wrecked and lost. Uh, he had inordinate uh, amounts of wealth and, and power. He was um, uh, just an amazing guy. And then uh, one day he decided to build a statue himself in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? These, these three Jews that had been brought to captivity into Babylon said, we're not going to bow down to your statue. It's a long story. I'll shorten it for you. He threw them in a furnace. They didn't burn up. And so Nebuchadnezzar found God. And he started following God and honoring the God of Israel. But he was just like any of us. In his follow, he failed. In his estimation of himself, he thought too highly of himself. And one day he was standing on the veranda of his palace and he said, look at all that I have made. And it says there in Daniel that God struck Nebuchadnezzar with a big case of the crazies. His hair grew out like a wild man, his nails grew out. And he was uh, made to crawl around his palace on all fours like a cow, he ate grass from his pastures like a cow for a season in his life. Who's grateful that God hasn't pulled that on one of us? But he did that for a season, and then, after a time 
of learning his lesson, God restored Nebuchadnezzar. And it's this beautiful prayer that Nebuchadnezzar gives where he says, yep, God, sorry about that. Got a little off. I thought it was all about me. Now I recognize it's all about you. This is the warning that Moses gives to Israel. Anybody want to guess how they did with it? Read your Bibles. Pretty lousy. Because they, like us, have a hard time with this. A hard time not making it about us. Is that the Christianity that you have? It's a Christianity that's centered on you? You know, that's, that's not the right kind of Christianity. Christianity is meant to be centered on Christ, on our worship of him, not our worship of ourselves. We should be seeking to fulfill his requirements, not giving him ours. It's like we take those songs we were singing before I got up here and we change the pronouns. Everything that was talking about God, we make it talk about us. Like that song, Lord, you are good and your mercies endureth forever. What if we change that? Mark, you are good and you're awesome forever and ever. If you sang that in your row, someone next to you would be like. But here's, here's the crazy part. We sing the songs to our God when we're in the room and then we go out and we live like the other song. Where it's all about me. I grew up in a time in the church where one of the songs was, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Anybody remember that one? Yeah. But some of us, we take to singing, bless myself, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless my awesome name. And then the, the chorus went like this, he has done great things. We change it to, me has done great things. Yeah. Don't want to belabor, but that's a problem. It was something that Israel had to be aware of and beware of. You're going to slip into thinking you did this. You're going to slip into forgetting that God is the giver. So how do we keep from forgetting to be grateful? Well, everybody get ready to say, duh. We remember. We've got to remember that God has given us all that we have. That's what... That's what uh, Moses says to the Israelites. He says, you shall, verse 18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You should wake up every morning saying, thank you, God. Like seriously, the first words out of your mouth. Like you've probably heard me preach. It's a great thing to do when you wake up, start praying. But before you start praying for your groceries and everything else that you want, just wake up, open your eyes, br- you know, brush the crust out of them, and start thanking God for what you have. I know there's things that you need. I know you'd like the pain to stop, the, the bills to be paid, the kids to come back to Jesus, whatever your prayers are, right? But before you hit the list, thank your God for what he's given you. Be grateful. Remember that all you have and all you are is because of his good grace. Be like Scrooge in that last scene of A Christmas Carol where he throws out the, is it still Christmas? Buy me the fattest goose. You don't have to buy a goose every morning. You don't have to do that part. But he wakes up rejoicing, glass half full, grateful. Hmm. It says there in verse 18, you should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. 
He not only blesses you with what you have, he gives you the ability to go and earn what you have, to be a, 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 a person who can um, think and act and, 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 and live. He does this so that he may confirm, it says here in the context of the children of Israel heading into the promised land. He, he's doing all of this that he may confirm this covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know why God gives to us? Spoiler alert. He doesn't give to us simply so that we can be blessed. That would make us the center of our Christianity, right? No, no. God gives to you and to I so that we can give glory back to him, so that we can bless him, so that we can, from what he's given us, bless others. He blesses us so that we might be a blessing that he might get the glory that he's due. He's not given to Israel what Israel deserves. He chose Abraham out of his grace. And he has given them this promised land, not because they earned it, they mowed enough lawns. No, he's given it to them because he promised it to them. And he won't go back on his word. That would not be glorifying to himself. Verses 19 and 20 kind of finish out this, this passage. If I can just go to those, we'll close up for the time that we have. He says, remember, remember that God made it possible for you to have. Remember that God gives you what you have so that he can bring glory to himself. But he says, remember, because if you forget the Lord your God and you go after other gods like money and you serve them and you worship them, I solemnly warn you, Moses says, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. If you're wondering what I mean, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you as you enter this promised land. Read uh, the book of Joshua. It's great stuff. If a sermon gets slow, go to Joshua. It's good stuff. Because it's just fight scene after fight scene and, 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 and you know, a city falling after city falling and peoples being conquered after peoples being conquered as God ushers the nation of Israel into its promised land. But he says, listen, in the same way that those nations are about to fall before you, so shall you fall. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I get up here uh, most weeks and I try to emphasize the grace of God because that is, that's the good news. Is anybody into the good news? Who likes the good news? Yeah, I'm into grace. Didn't grow up a lot hearing about it. So if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of, hey, God loves us. He is for us, not against us. His mercy is never ending. Who's grateful? All right. So hear that, believe that, but don't bask in that too much because when we get overly graced, we get kind of sloppy sometimes in how we live. We think, well, grace will just cover that. God will forgive that. I've heard guys who've, uh, you know, uh, considered leaving their wives and families say that to me. Oh, God will just forgive me. And I'm like, you idiot. God's going to smush you like a bug. You think God is just going to, oh, that's okay every time we sin? No, he is a righteous and just God. And if you and I continue to live in discontent and disappointment, wagging a finger at God because he has not given what we have required, well, God's going to teach us some lessons, people. On the weeks that you're about to preach about gratitude, your truck's going to go in the shop. Your air conditioner's going to go out. 
You think it's so bad? How about this? You appreciate what you got now? I want to spare you that. I want you to walk in the path that he has for us. This path with our money and with everything else in your life that is marked by a profound gratitude. Thank you, God. I know life's hard. I know I, I wish this wasn't happening, but thank you, God. You have been so good. Things could be so much worse. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God. That's why we sing this song. Will you stand with me as we sing? I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Love is unfailing. Lord, I am say this with I give thanks I give thanks for all you and I will sing and I will sing of your mercy and your love is unfailing love is unfailing Lord I am grateful sometimes I go to lunch uh, with people here in our church and we'll sit down and it's usually a bunch of guys and so some of us are accustomed just to getting our food and plowing, right? And so I'll, I'll sit down and I'll have gotten back from the drink, whatever, and I'll be like, oh, have you, did you guys pray? And, and one of them threw a muffled burger bite. You know, and I'll be like, okay, I know we already started. Let's just, let's just do this. You don't have to bow your heads. You don't have to close your eyes. And I'll just look at everybody at the table and I'll say, are you grateful? And through their burger, they'll say, woo. But I'll ask them again, I'll say, are you grateful? And they'll say, yeah, we are. And then I'll say, amen. So let me ask you this morning, and think before you say, are you grateful? Yes. Are you grateful? Yes. Are you grateful? Yes. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.